Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. Like I said, we're in a Life Is series. Uh, We launched that for the whole month. And as life happens to each one of us, there's different um, descriptions. And for the past few years here at Kingsway, it's been a great pleasure to be part of the uh, team approach to ministry. Uh, You see, when I read scriptures, I see how Jesus used this approach himself. Sure, Jesus could have fully uh, did ministry by himself. He could have taught and led and preached all by himself. And there could be benefit to that. However, time and time again, we see how Jesus identified individuals, he invited those individuals into ministry, and ultimately invested in their lives to help build up the team. As part of the pastoral team, we meet regularly, typically once a week, uh, as our schedules allow it, and we pray for the needs, like when prayer requests come up, that's from you guys from the congregation, as well as map out our vision and direction for ministry throughout Kingsway. Over the past year, we've really been taking steps to intentionally make our Sunday morning sermons an opportunity to be intentional. We don't just want to stand up here and preach a word out of the Bible. Of course, that's what we're going to do. We'll make sure it's biblical. But we're going to make sure it lines up with where we are going and ties in with each uh, of the direction of Kingsway. That's why we've done different series uh, this past year, like the financial series last fall or the holiness series uh, this spring. As we entered into the spring this year, I knew this summer we had VBS coming up. This is a big event for our children. This was always the highlight of the children's ministry, to really invest in a special way for our children of our church and their spheres of influence. Naturally, as a pastor, I was thinking, how would we make an even bigger impact? We could really double down and invest so much time and effort for these children during the kids' church time. Some parents think that's the main solution. I hear this idea passed around a lot, especially in youth ministries. Other youth pastors share the stories of how parents think only if Johnny, fictitious name, if Johnny would spend more time in the youth ministry events or come to more activities, he would be a better Christian or a better person. The same idea comes in with children's ministry. With children's ministry or youth ministry, our ministries are designed to be a supplement to help boost spiritual development for young people. If we use these ministries as a main course meal, then we are missing out a great opportunity at home. After all, Kingsway, we might be able to offer about two to three hours a week for these ministries. There's 168 hours every week. That's over 700 hours throughout the month. So as we are talking about developing this, this series, we want to approach VBS differently. God could allow us to sleep for about half of that time, or a third of that time, for some of us. Not me, I got a little baby. But if we're expecting a great spiritual awakening, we have to invest more into our families. With this investment, we'll probably come up short if we're not willing to go the go a little deeper. We must be willing to go deeper, and that's what this entire series is about. We are, to, we are providing, as pastors and leadership, the opportunity to experience the biblical stories and the themes that are exactly the same as what we're providing, uh, common ground to start a conversation with our families. It may seem hard to engage our children or our grandchildren in a conversation about church or kids' church. It may go something like this. How was kids' church? They would say, good. You say, what did you learn about? And they would say, well, Moses. And if you know anything about Moses, maybe the conversation continues or the conversation stops there. But because we are paralleling the main sermon that we're doing today and all month, 
with what they're learning, it will allow us to take the VBS conversation they're learning and open up conversations at home. Something very similar, I, I made this up, but it worked out great because I was talking to other parents about last week, and uh, it could open a conversation and say, wow, this week at, at church, we learned about how Pastor Sean told us the Israelites were making bricks out of mud, and it was hard, it was really hard. Then they may say, wow, we had to make the bricks out of our hands, and it was messy, and then they took the straw away. Uh, that's really tough, that's really unfair. That Pharaoh was just an unfair leader. And this is just the start of a positive conversation. So my encouragement to all the parents or relatives of children in our VBS event this month, make sure you take some notes, write down some scriptures or the stories I, I uh, involved today, and intentionally engage them in what you learned. Maybe you'll be surprised how awesome these spiritual conversations can be with our littlest ones. This is what discipling our children is all about. If we have no connection at all with any of the children at uh, VBS this week, this series is not a loss. Because as I mentioned, after we were preaching about the Bible and how we can explain how it impacts our life today. In fact, like the series is the Life Is series. So with that, we're going to move on to today's point. When life is scary, God is still good. If I was back with all the children, I could make an endless list of things they may be scared of. Things like, I'm scared of being away from home. I'm scared to meet new friends. I'm afraid of monsters. I'm afraid of the dark. Or I'm afraid of vegetables. Being scared when we were younger is a normal life situation because everything we encounter could be new. As we get older, we get more knowledgeable of the situations and more mature. So that means there's nothing else we should be scared of as we get older, right? Then my question there is, if that's true, why do we lock our cars and close our doors at night? I remember a time back when I was in high school. Uh, for some reason, my parents weren't home uh, one evening, and uh, I decided I was going to stay home and watch Netflix. Now, this was Netflix before streaming. Uh, we used to get DVDs in the mail, and I was watching a series called Criminal Minds. If you ever heard the series, it's pretty popular. They have about 12 or 13 seasons, and the main theme is about serial killers and the FBI team tracking down these criminals. These stories are not true crime, like you may find on Dateline, and it's not telling a real story, but it's a fictitious story that's not true. No matter if it's not true or not, the fascination with this show at times can be scary. For some reason, that night when I was alone by myself, I decided it would be a good idea to watch this show downstairs in our basement. Now, in our basement, the way you get out of the basement is you walk up a flight and a half of stairs to a, a back door, and the back door is half foggy, so you can barely see out of it. That's a typical back door. So when you go through to the outside, it's not a perfect picture like a normal window. So each episode I would watch, I'd get a little spooked out by the storyline and didn't want to leave from when I was sitting there because I would have to walk back upstairs into the empty house by myself past the window. Maybe there would be a shadow or a figure that I'd be thinking it's a person there. And it was a really scary situation. This cycle got scarier and scarier every episode I watched. Now this situation is pretty clear. I put myself into it and I was self-controlled. However, sometimes in life, our situations are not self-controlled. We face scary times in many, many ways. Maybe we are scared by the location we're at and we may be harmed. Maybe you're facing a financial or a marital crisis and really can't get past it. Many of us can be scared when some, one of us, ourselves or our loved ones, get a medical diagnosis or a test back and it's not, uh, 
and it's not very good. Or a very common fear, uh, we are afraid or scared of death. These things that come, come to no surprise to God. So God intentionally knows uh, what we're facing today and has already set a path and a plan in place. So do we know his plan? Psalms 23.4 states, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've read this scripture from this pulpit as well as from the graveside. Life will be scary at times, and the only thing that will get you through it is knowing and applying, even though life is scary, God is still good. There are many accounts in the scriptures that express this point, but I want to focus on just one, the same one that our children are learning today back in the classroom. This story is not short, it's rather long, but it's probably one of the most memorable days our children will have. See, they're going through an awesome story, and they're really going to enjoy it. Because it comes to life, the story of Moses and the plagues that God places on the Egyptians with a real-life, scary pharaoh. Okay, so we have the ten plagues here, and that's the story from Exodus chapter 7, verse 14 through 12, verse 32. So about five chapters. I could read through that word by word, every section, and I could get a full picture of what God intends to show us through his word. I'm not going to do that because that would take some time, and we don't have that much time. But I'm going to go through and try to summarize each, each one and see how we can go deeper when you are home and to encourage your families. And when you are home, I encourage you to dive in more. It may take 20 or 30 minutes, but it's very valuable to read the whole stories. With that, let's jump into the story from Exodus. I first want to look at some context and background to God's people at the time. We come through the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that explains the creation and the first several generations of mankind. We learn about characters like Noah, Adam, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was later named Israel by God and moved his family to Egypt after discovering his long-lost son, Joseph, was not dead. But the Lord divinely allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery. Next, he ended up falsely imprisoned in jail for two years. And then, finally, the second-hand man to the Pharaoh. This allowed Joseph to help save all the people of the land from starvation during a massive famine because the Lord prophetically spoke to Joseph through one of his dreams, the Pharaoh's dreams. Joseph, Israel, and their family uh, were treated like royalty at the time. They were truly blessed by the Pharaoh of that age. However, as time fades away and generations pass away, the Israelite people grow in numbers, and the royal status grows so far away. After 400 years, a Pharaoh came to the throne who had no respect for the descendants of Joseph and feared the large numbers, which was about one to two million people at the time. He forced them into slavery in order to oppress and subdue them. In this time, the Israelites, they had lost their faith in the God of their fathers. They believed he existed and worshipped him, but they doubted he could or would break the yoke of bondage they had been facing. So they were scared. The Egyptians at the time, like many pagan cultures that we experience through the scriptures, they worshipped a wide variety of natural gods and attributed their powers to natural phenomenons that they saw around the world. Instead of worshipping the God of creation, we find through the book of Genesis, they were worshipping the creation as gods. The Egyptians believed they were, there was a god of the sun, god of the river, of childbirth, of crops, and many more to list. Even though the annual floods of uh, the Nile were fertilized in the croplands were evidence that their gods were powerful 
and goodwill. And again, these are false gods that they worship. With all that in mind, last week, Pastor Sean read this scripture. It's from Exodus uh, chapter 5. Moses approached Pharaoh, demanding that he let the people go. And this was Pharaoh's response. Who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Thus began the challenge to show whose God was more powerful. This would be a scary time for Moses and the Israelite people. On the surface, it may appear that the Pharaoh and the Egyptians were the most powerful and mighty figures they have ever dealt with. Obviously, this would be the case because they were in bondage for 400 years. As we go through the story today, I really need you to try to uh, put on Moses' shoes or, uh, historically, probably Moses' sandals. There's a section of scripture last week that the story skipped over. We went from Exodus 1 to Exodus 5. And there's a, uh, such an important scripture I wanted to make sure we talked about because it revealed how scary Moses, scary situation he was facing. It's from Exodus chapter 4, uh, verse 10. It says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. Lord, I have never been eloquent, never in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Here, Moses is bold enough to make an excuse to God. God calls him out and says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And he made an excuse. I'm not eloquent. I can't speak very well. What are your excuses you're giving to the Lord today when he requests something in your life? This is one for, for a long time. You don't want to speak or you don't want to have compassion on someone who's hurt you. You don't want to forgive others. There are many excuses we give the Lord when he says go like he did to Moses. Uh, scriptures continue. The Lord responded to him. He said, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight and makes them blind? This is not I, the Lord. Now go, I will help you and speak uh, and teach you what to say. The Lord was having nothing with Moses' excuses, basically saying, how dare you question my call on your life? You see, God knows our failures. God knows where we come up short. And somehow, God is still using a wretched sinner like myself to move mightily here on earth. Even after that, Moses still had the boldness to say, uh, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. He still did not want to be sent and used by God. Uh, this calling was just uncomfortable for Moses to deal with. Once again, let's put ourselves into his sandals and think, yes, the Lord, you may be right, but this is too scary for me to even try and handle. What if I fail? What if I make things worse than they already are? Well, guess what? That's exactly what Moses happened. Uh, as we learned last week, he made it worse before they got better for the Israelite people. The Lord does not want us to have a perfect plan before we move forward. The perfect outline to how a ministry should work. The perfect game plan on how we should raise our children or lead our household. You may be asking, how do I figure out God's will in these situations? How do I know my Christian walk is up to par with where God wants me? Here's a simple clue. Are you currently comfortable in our Christianity? I'm not talking about being comfortable in our salvation. The scripture makes it very clear that, though, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus can set us free from the bondage of sin and failures, cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. The area I am referencing to when I say, are you comfortable in your Christianity is in terms of your servant life. Am I serving in an area where I am 100% comfortable? Am I just repeating the mundane to maintain the status quo? This may fly in our work, 
whatever job you may have, but this will not fly with God. We may be missing out if we are not stretching ourselves into areas of uncomfort in serving. These are areas we feel inadequate, just like Moses. The pastor asked me to pray for someone, and that's just too uncomfortable. The ministry leader asked me to step up and lead a devotion one week. Or maybe I'm great behind the scenes, making things with my hands. You love manual labor. Uh, it's a great thing. You love to help out. And then someone asks you to disciple some other young men. These situations may stretch our faith or the idea of where we see ourselves in ministry um, and where we see us moving towards. But this is when God places our life in scary times. If we are living comfortable Christianity and taking steps into the scary opportunities and not taking steps sorry, into the scary opportunities to serve God, then we might be missing out on where the Lord can use us. I'm not saying his will is always easy. There may be struggle with, uh, struggle with God over this. Moses had that struggle. He did not want to be used by God for the plan God had because it was a scary plan for Moses' life. Because remember, when life is scary, God is still good. Let's go back to uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 12. And we read where it says, it says, first, now go. It does not say wait or prepare. It says now. The first step we must take, it might be awkward or uncomfortable, but it, it's the first we must go. As you keep reading after the now go, God expressed that he will help us. He will be with us, help us speak, help us teach what to say. God is not in the business of trying to drive a car that is currently in park in the driveway and turned off. Try that as you leave the church. Don't turn your car on and try to move the wheel. Uh, it's pretty much impossible. You can't get very far. Well, you first must get into the car, turn it on, put it in a drive, and move forward. For a new driver, this is a very scary part. Think back to when you were about 16 and you were first driving. Maybe you watched your parents for your whole life for 16 years. But until you sit in that driver's seat, it is a scary situation. This can be a scary time for first drivers because, once again, it is something new. The same thing applies to ministries and our faith journey with the Lord. If God is not providing you something new and thus scary in our journey, you're either still in park, sitting in the driveway comfortably, or maybe you've not even gotten into the vehicle yet. Moses did not even want to be in the car. He wanted to call a taxi or maybe an Uber, to get to the destination where God wanted him to be. But Moses finally gave in. So let's see how that journey worked out through the ten plagues. And God presented to Pharaoh the plagues in Egypt. Now remember, we are tremendously blessed. When we look at the scriptures, this is not how these people at the time, they didn't know the whole story. They had to live it day by day and breath by breath. Moses did not know the blessing of what was to come. He was living every moment and every breath. Uh, from the word of God. The first thing God told Moses and the Pharaoh was, let my people go. This is the first plague. That's what uh, they're saying. So they may worship me. That's pretty simple. Don't forget, uh, we are in Moses' sandals. So God just asked Moses and Aaron, at the time, they were 80 and 83 years old. I'll repeat that. Moses and Aaron were 80 years old and 83 years old. To talk to the most powerful person in the land, so don't tell me you want to retire from ministry just because you're getting a little old. No, now, no matter what your age is, it still would be a scary thing to have to talk to the most powerful leader in the land and tell him this statement. God did not tell Moses simply to plead with the Pharaoh to let his people go. Oh, please, pretty please, let my people go. 
That's not what God told Moses to do. God said, tell the Pharaoh, let his people go. This was after what we learned last week. And Moses encountered Pharaoh for the first time. And after that first encounter, as we learned, the Israelites were put into slavery in a harder way. Their work was made much harder without straw. Had to make the big bricks the size of, or if you're here, you saw, if you missed it, you missed an opportunity to see what the, the Lord says. But it was really hard. It was unfair, but this week is a different encounter for Moses. We are learning how life is scary, but God is still good. It might take to the end of these plagues to understand and realize how God is still good, but we'll get there. Along with this statement, to let my people go, God sent Moses and Aaron to demonstrate his divine power. In the first plague in verse 20, Moses struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Verse 22, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron. And uh, the question here is, this, the discussion we had in our pastor's meeting, why was Pharaoh's heart hardened? In the beginning, we'll see how he rejected God, and he continued to harden his heart. Remember that. We'll get back to that. Okay, chapter 8, verse 1. It reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go, so they may worship me again. This is the second plague. The second plague uh, brought frogs from the Nile. This was a judgment against a false god that the Egyptians worship called Heget. If you ever see pictures of the uh, Egyptians, it was the, the frog-headed goddess of birth. Like I mentioned earlier in, in the Egyptians, uh, they created in the culture an endless collection of idol gods. Through these plagues, God was bringing judgment on the culture that had direct connection with these gods they were worshipped in Egypt that they were not the one true God, the God of the Israelites, as we read in the Old Testament. The Egyptians thought that frogs were to be uh, sacred and not to be killed. So God had the frogs invade every place and every part of the homes and the, uh, the fields of Egypt. And when the frogs died, their stinky bodies were piled up in a big pile. Um, this was a constant reminder that the God that they looked up to, the Egyptians, this frog-headed creature, was powerless compared to the God of Israelites. It was so bad that, verse 8, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take these frogs away from me and my people, and I will let you go and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh was feeling the heat in the kitchen. Maybe this was the time that the Israelites would be let free. So Moses grants Pharaoh's request, and in verse 10, so that you may know that there is no one like the God, the Lord our God. Uh, so he prayed to the Lord to, to get rid of the frogs. However, Pharaoh was not interested in letting the slaves free. In verse 15, when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Now we're in the third and fourth plague. Start with the third. The third plague was gnats, verse 18 and 19. Uh, but when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not, since the gnats were on the people and animals everywhere. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he could not listen, just as the Lord had said. This third plague of gnats was a judgment on the, the false god of, called Set, the god of the desert. Unlike the previous plagues, the magicians uh, were unable to duplicate this one and declared to Pharaoh, 
This act was from God. Plague four. It is a plague of flies. In verse 20, once again, Moses each time would say to the Pharaoh, let my people go so they may worship. He didn't change the course. The Lord had uh, a mission for him to continue to repeat this. Uh, Verse 21, if you do not let my people go, I will send a swarm of flies on you and your officials, on the people and into your houses. The houses of Egypt will be full of flies, even with the ground will be covered with them. Verse 22, but on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. This is important. This is the fourth plague, and God declared he's going to do differently with the land of Goshen, which is where his people lived, where the Israelites were, were camped. No swarms of flies will be there, so they will know that I am the Lord, and I am this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. The Lord made a distinction between those who were honoring him and the Egyptians. In this plague, God clearly distincted between those groups of people. The fifth plague is the death of livestock. This is in Exodus chapter 9. Verse 1, once again, Moses says, let my people go. In verse 3, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on the livestock of the field, on the horses, the donkeys, the camels, and the cattle, sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Uh, Verse 7, the Pharaoh investigated. He wanted to find out, was there a distinction between the the evil or whatever was happening in his land and the Israelites. And he found out that not one single animal of the Israelites was killed. As with the previous plagues, God protected his people from the plague. While the cattle of the Egyptians died, God was steadily destroying the economy of Egypt while showing his ability to protect and provide for those who obey him. Pharaoh even sent investigators to find out if the Israelites were suffering as Egyptians but the result was hardening of their heart against the Israelites. Six is boils. We find out that in verse 9, that festering boils would pop up on the skins of the people and animals throughout the land. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. At this point, it was no longer Pharaoh's decision. He decided to harden his own heart for the first couple of plagues, and God decided uh, it was time to harden his heart. And he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord said to Moses. Before God sent these last three plagues, he gave a special message for the Pharaoh from God. These plagues would be more severe than the others, and they would be designed to convince Pharaoh and all the people that there is none like me in all the earth. He was placed in the position as a leader by God so that God could show his power and declare his name above all the earth. As an example of his grace, God warned Pharaoh to gather whatever cattle and crops remained from the previous plagues, and shelter them from the coming storm. Some of Pharaoh's servants heeded this warning and followed what God was instructing them, while others, others did not. We got the seventh plague, which is hail. And once again, God gave the warning to, to everyone. Verse uh, 16, But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I may show you my power, and my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This was the worst hailstorm uh, they have ever seen. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. See, at this time, God graciously allowed them to get some advice from God. These were Egyptians, but he said, bring your, your livestock and your slaves and all them in so they may not be harmed. But they didn't even listen to God for those instructions. Um, and the unjust that did not listen were, were not spared. 
Verse 26, the only place I did not hail was the land of Goshen. Once again, that was the land where the Israelites were staying, and God protected his people. Uh, verse 34 and 35, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. So once there was a relief, uh, he, he was asking Moses and Aaron to, to pray that these plagues would stop. But once there was a relief, they would continue to sin. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So if Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord said through Moses. So Pharaoh suffers from what I would call public mourning, feeling bad but not true repentance. We see this all the time in our political culture, and our celebrity culture. People are always apologizing when they get caught. That's not true repentance. True repentance is coming out and admitting we have done wrong and asking for forgiveness. If we are ashamed by our public, or ashamed by our, our, our peers, you just got caught. True repentance is turning before you get caught. The Lord knows everything, so whether the public reveals it or not, he'll know our secrets, and they will be revealed one day, Scripture says. Plagues 8 and 9. Uh, 8 was the locust, chapter 10. Verse 2, it says, So this plague was designed for the children and grandchildren of the Israelites, and how to uh, deal harshly with the Egyptians, and how to perform my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So these signs were designed so the Israelites would know that God is still alive, God is still active, and no matter what they may be facing, God is the Lord, and we see him today. Moses goes in and tells Pharaoh, let my people go and worship me. This is the, the continual statement by Moses. If they refuse to let me go, there will be locusts in all the country tomorrow. Verse 7, the Pharaoh's official said to him, how long will you let the, this man snare us? Let his people go so they may worship the Lord your God. Do not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? The Pharaoh still was not willing to let them go. He said, the Lord be with you. If I let you go, along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, only have your men go and worship the Lord, since that is what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of the Pharaoh's presence. In this situation, it's very similar to what we see today. The government telling us how we should worship our God. Moses came with a clear statement. My God said, you are to let my people go. That's all the people of the Israelites and worship me. The Pharaoh said, I'll, I'll give you a little break. I'll let the men go. And Moses, no, he wasn't having that. Uh, we may see that today. Eventually, uh, we are very blessed in America for many decades and centuries, but there might be a time like China. We had Ben West standing right here a couple months ago explaining how he is serving in China and the government is forcing him out. He voted his visa and now he's serving somewhere else. If the government tells us how to worship our God, we need to be like Moses and stand and say, my Lord said to worship in this way. And that means it's going to be a scary time. That's what we, we are called to face. Verse 16 and 17, after uh, this conversation, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron back and said, I have sinned against the Lord and your God. Now forgive my sins once more and pray that the Lord, your God, to take these deadly plagues away from me. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. Brings us to our ninth plague. This is darkness. This was aimed at the Egyptians' god, the sun god, called Re, who is to symbolize the Pharaoh himself. For three days, the land of Egypt was smothered with unearthly darkness, but the homes of the Israelites had light. Verse 22 explains how Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. Uh, then the Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship your God. Even your women and children may go. He's opened up a little more. 
but only leave your flocks and herds behind. Once again, the Pharaoh was trying to tell Moses and Aaron how God's people were to worship God. Uh, but Moses still was not having any of that. You must allow us to sacrifice, uh, burnt offering, and present that to the Lord our God. That was how they worshipped at the time. And it brings us to our final plague. is the tenth plague. And this is a very good, I call it a signpost. It's pointing us towards the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures. The tenth and last plague with the death of the firstborn son was judgment on Isis. That was the name of the, the Egyptian god, the protector of uh, the children. In this plague, God was teaching the Israelites a deep spiritual lesson uh, that pointed towards Christ. Unlike the other plagues where the Egyptians survived just by virtue, or the identity as Christ's people or as God's people, this plague required an act of faith by them. God commanded each family to take an unblemished male lamb and kill it. The blood of the lamb was to be smeared on the top of the, and the sides of the doorpost, and the lamb was to be roasted and eaten that night. Any family that did not follow God's instructions would suffer in this last plague. God described that he would send the death angel through the land of Egypt uh, with orders to slay the firstborn male in every household, whether that was human or animal. The only protection was the blood of the lamb on the door. When the angel saw the blood, he would pass over the house and leave it untouched. This is where we get the term Passover that the Jewish people still celebrate today. Passover is a memorial of that night in ancient Egypt where God delivered his people from bondage. 1 Corinthians 5.7 uh, teaches us that Jesus became our Passover when he died to deliver us from bondage of sin. While the Israelites found God's protection in their house, every other house or home in Egypt experienced God's wrath as the loved ones died. This grievous event caused Pharaoh to find, finally release the Israelites. This was the, uh, the happy time that they wanted. It was no longer scary for that moment. On that same night, I will pass through, this the scriptures give you the uh, context, verses 12 and 13. I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animal. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When, you see, when I see the blood, I pass over you. No destruction plague will touch you when I strike down Egypt. Verse 30, this was, uh, we talk about when life is scary, the Israelites were hearing these cries. And in verse 30, Pharaoh and his officials, they all were crying out. Because during the night, there was a loud wailing in Egypt. And there was no house that was without someone that died. Um, as I get to my closing point, they sang a song. And I have this in my notes, but it's a song I very much loved in the beginning. It said, uh, I give myself to you. So my question is, there's two statements in there. What is more scarier as we experience life? Is it giving ourselves away? Or is it being used by God? I want you to think about that because uh, we think giving ourselves away is the hardest part. But once you start to be used by God, like Moses, you may enter into scary times. Some of these plagues, God protected his people from. The Israelites, they were protected. We, they were identified. Verse 4, God said he protected the Goshen, the people of Goshen, and the flies. Uh, number 4. Number 5, the livestock, as well as the darkness. So if God identified through the scriptures, he was protecting his people then all the other plagues, they had to go through that. So the Israelites had to live in the land when God turned the water to blood, when the frogs filled the land, when there was gnats. We go to camp and the gnats are terrible. But at that time, it was a, a terrible, scary time. 
as well as the boils and the locusts. Now, the seventh plague is a time the Israelites were experiencing. Uh, if you ever hear about storms, we always hear about severe weather. We get text messages on our phone. Be careful. And it can be a scary time if you're in the path of a disaster, of a hurricane, of a tornado. And right here in Perry Hall, there was, there was damage recently. And imagine a hailstorm coming across the land. The Israelites did not know that it was going to stop at their, their area. Plague 7 was the hail. God gave a general warning to all the people. So even the Egyptians could flee from this plague. The final plague was the Passover and its direct signpost to Jesus. How wonderful these signposts were throughout the Old Testament as you see it clearly pointing towards Calvary and the cross. Passover was the opportunity for the Israelites to get a preview of the experience and wonderful work that Jesus would give hundreds of years later before Jesus came down to earth to die for you and for me. That is why God is good. When life is scary, God is good. I'm with the scripture. It's uh, Psalms 23, 4. I read in the beginning. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. No matter what we are facing today, medical, financial, marital, whatever scary situation you are facing, God will walk through you with that. It does not mean we will be spared, just like the Israelites. They had to go through some trials, and they thought they were safe, and we get to the next stage, we'll learn about it in the next couple of weeks. By this time, the Israelites left Egypt, and they had a clear picture of God's power, God's protection, and God's plan for them. For those who were willing to believe, they had convincing evidence that served, they were serving the true and living God. Sadly, many of them still did not believe, which led to more trials and lessons we'll learn about next week. The result from the Egyptians and the other ancient people of the region was a dread of the God or fear of the God of Israel. Even after the 10th plague, Pharaoh once again hardened his heart and sent his chariots after the Israelites. They thought they were free to leave the land, and all of a sudden, Pharaoh sent an army to attack them. That's when God opened up the Red Sea for the Israelites. They drowned all Pharaoh's armies, and the power of Egypt was crushed, and the fear of God spread throughout the nations. That was the very purpose that God had declared at the beginning. We can still look back at these events today and confirm our faith in and our fear of this true and living God, the judge of all the earth. So as we go into our lives this week, we always have to remember when life is scary, God is still good. We will face trials. We will face troubles. It's not a if, it's a, a when we face them. And will our faith be strong? Will we trust in the Lord? Will we run away? Moses tried to run away, but he finally gave in. And, and imagine the testimony. We are speaking about his name 3,000 years later. I pray we can have the strength that Moses did. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.